today's scripture comes from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and in the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And our second scripture is from Romans 12, 6 through 8. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the gift of leadership, ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. The word of God. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you together in the Lord's house and to be able to share from God's word about what he's doing. And uh, I have a question for you. How many, or does anybody know how many people are living in the world today? Yes. It's very interesting, in fact. Today, at this moment, supposedly, by the world population counter, 7,999,715,046. Interestingly, that number is very close to 8 billion people. In two days, the day after tomorrow, it's estimated that clock will click over to be about 8 billion people in the world. Pretty amazing. 8 billion people. I want to introduce to you a friend of mine, uh, a church leader, a man that I've gotten to know. His name is Kenji Beck. I want to share with you as a way of introduction one of those 8 billion people. His name is Kenji Beck. He said to me... uh, couple years ago, if I hadn't believed in Jesus, I would have gone to Syria to fight with ISIS. Now, it wasn't an option, like believe in Jesus or fight for ISIS, but he came to faith through his wife. He was a committed Muslim. He would go to the mosque and pray, and he would work for Islam. And that was, uh, for him, very important part of his life, but he was having problems in his marriage. And his, he, his wife started going to church and had heard the gospel and became a believer and didn't, invited him to come, but didn't press him, but just loved him. And she began to change little by little. She became a better wife. She loved him and prayed for him. And he saw her transformation. And because of her, eventually he became curious and he began to ask. And he went to church with her. And he heard the gospel and he changed. God changed his life. And he started to follow God. When he told me years later, this was 10 years later, that that he was that committed to Islam, I was shocked because this was several years ago and I thought about the horrendous uh, 
nature of that war in Syria and what ISIS was doing to people. And I couldn't imagine a man that I knew who was humble and godly, who had a, a deep love for Jesus, who loved his family, would, could do such a thing. But because has, God has entered his life, he has been changed, and he now lives a very different life. The gospel has reached to many places in the world. And today, I, I want to do something a little different, maybe than what missionaries normally do, maybe what you're accustomed. I think we often come to share what God is doing in the world. And my desire is not to share so much about the what, but about the why. Why do missionaries go? But even more broadly, why do we go? Like a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John finished the series on evangelism. And at the end of it, he commissioned all of us. He sent us all to go into our networks of relationships to, to be a witness, to bless people, bless people. Remember that acronym. And, and so why would we want to cross those cultural barriers and risk ridicule or other consequences that might come from talking about God? Why? That's what I'd like to talk about today. Three reasons that I'd like to share. First of all, there's a need. Secondly, the love of God. And third, for God's glory. These are three motivations that has, have personally impacted me in my own life. And so I can connect with them. And, and, and I, I hope that by sharing kind of my own journey and my own motivation, that you will also Think about what, what motivates you. Now, there are other motivations than these three, but these are the three I want to focus on today because these are the ones that, that have, have sent me to the mission field but also sustain me on the mission field. So let's start with the first one. The need. What is the need in the world? What are the problems in the world today? Of course, we know there's poverty in many places around the world. We know there's injustice in the world. There's pain and suffering as a result of the curse of sin on humanity. And as I said, missionaries often can, can reveal or open up to us what they've seen in those faraway places. We have needs here as well. There are people in our community that don't have homes, that don't have food. I'm very thankful that I have a home. I have a warm home. Thanks to the kindness of God's people, we have a, a wonderful place to stay. And and even some people from this congregation 
knew we were coming and prepared for our home some food for us to eat. We can buy food, but it just means very much to receive love expressed in such a practical way. And I often think when I'm making a fire and keeping it going, I think about how wonderful that simple pleasure is to have a warm, toasty living room on a cold winter's night. And it's easy to forget there are people around us who live exposed in this community. My son and I, uh, Chingiz, did a little bit of work at Will Swihart's home to help him out. And I noticed, uh, this is just up the valley from here, and there's some trees in his backyard. And I noticed there's a little camp there. There's people living in the backyard there, in those trees. Well, that's a need in our community. And of course, the, the needs overseas are also very big. But the need that I want to talk about today, the need that really touched my heart when I was in college was the fact that there are billions of people that have no access to the gospel. If we can see the next slide. <clears throat> well, let me, let me share these verses first. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not yet known. So there are places where the gospel is not yet known. Paul was concerned about that. He was burdened by that. And he was trying to get to those places where people did not have any knowledge of Jesus. And Jesus himself commissioned us to go to all peoples and said that the end will not come until the gospel has reached all the peoples of the earth. So let's take a moment to look at the need of the world as it relates to the gospel. The next slide shows the fact that 40% of our world has no access to the gospel. That's 3 billion people who have not heard the gospel and do not have easy access to the gospel. Among those 40% of the 8 billion people we talked about earlier, earlier there are about 7,000 people groups that are considered unreached. In other words, there are so few healthy, believing Christians within that people group who can advance the gospel from within without the help of outside resources, outside missionaries. That is what an unreached people group is. Now, again, there are needs in this community there are many people in this community, probably, who have never heard the gospel shared with them in a loving way from true believers. There are many, many people like that. 
That's concerning. It should burden us. There is a need. People need God. They need a Savior. They need to be saved from their sins. And when I was in college, when I was a Bible college student, I understood that need, and it burdened me. It troubled me. So this need... uh, Let's go on to the next slide. The next slide shows uh, where we have gone, where I have gone, I guess. My wife is Kyrgyz. She's from this land. I don't know if you can see well. That is the nation of Kyrgyzstan where we serve. Um, It's in the middle of the Eurasian continent. Um, Next slide shows a little bit of information about the Kyrgyz people. I don't know if you can see it. The population is about 4.8 million people, relatively small. The size of Kyrgyzstan is probably about the size of Oregon and Washington combined. I think it's smaller than California, probably. The largest religion, Islam. They're a Muslim people group. How many of them are born-again believers? 0.09%. This is not exact, and this was probably uh, from maybe a decade ago. There may be 10,000 people who believe in Jesus in Kyrgyzstan now. Very few. Very few people. And you can see this little uh, progress dial. It has a little gauge, and it shows that this is a people that are unreached. They need more outside resources. They need more people to come in. They need more Bibles distributed. They need more radio broadcasts. They need more missionaries who are coming in to share the good news and to train and disciple people to be able to reach their own nation. And as I said when I was in college, the Lord sent me to Kyrgyzstan. The need troubled me. And I'm thankful for this church that they have sent out many workers to many places and continue to care about the needs of the world. And there are people who support us in this congregation, and we're very grateful for sending us to go to Kyrgyzstan to do the work God has given us. And I'm thankful for your prayers that you've prayed for us, Now, as I move on to the next area that motivates us, it's the area of love. I was thinking about the people that support us. And I was thinking about how probably not a lot of them have a love for the Muslim people of Kyrgyzstan. Maybe through the years and reading our stories and interacting with us, they've gotten a taste of, they've seen our love for the Kyrgyz and given and cleansed and reconciled to God. And out of that experience of knowing God and loving God and experiencing Him, they they participate with God in what He's doing. Again, here in this community, you have tasted and seeing that the Lord is good. 
you have experienced the sweet love of Jesus. And from that love relationship, the things that are on God's heart, I believe also we experience a, mo- a motivating uh, factor there. We, we are motivated to, to share what we have with other people who don't have that yet. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, well, first he says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus, died for all. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. God reconciled us, you and me, to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I would like to read a passage from a missionary biography, a famous missionary named J. Hudson Taylor, who had a burden for China before China was really open and could be reached. He was, I think he was an English man, and he records his experience of his calling to go to missions. What motive, I want you to listen for what motivated him to go to China. The language is a little bit old because he lived over 100 years ago. I don't know his exact dates, but... I hope it will be understandable. Not many months after my conversion, I had a leisure afternoon. I retired to my chambers, my my room, to spend it largely in communion with God. Well do I remember that occasion, how in the gladness of my heart I poured out my soul before God. And again and again, I confessed my grateful love to him who had done everything for me. He saved me when I had given up all hope and even a desire for salvation. I begged him to give me some work to do for him as an outlet for love and gratitude, some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying or however trivial, something with which he would be pleased and that I might do for him who had done so much for me. Well do I remember as in unreserved consecration, 
I put myself, I put my life, my friends, my family, my all upon the altar. The deep seriousness that came over my soul with the assurance that my offering was accepted. He heard a voice that said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And rising up from his heart, coming out of his mouth, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me. I will go. As I said, I, I became a believer when I was 19, and I went to Bible college, and there I learned about the glory of God, and I learned about the purposes of God. And not only did I learn about God, but I also had a richer, deeper experience with the God who created me. In some way, I, I saw how marvelous, how excellent, how praiseworthy he, he is. And out of that experience, seeing how excellent he is, I, like Isaiah, felt that urge, that desire, God, send me, let me go, let me be one who goes. I know not everybody can go, but I want to be one who goes. And as I learned about that plan, that purpose of God, I, I understood what God is doing in human history. What is God doing from the beginning to the end of time, in our world today and in ages past and in the future to come. I understood that. And this may come across a little bit theological. I don't know if I might have already lost some of you guys, but I want to take a stab at trying to explain what that purpose is. And there's a slide. You might have to go forward a little bit, take a couple slides ahead. God's purpose, again is to reconcile individuals to himself, to transform them into a new people that declare his glory. This is you and me. God has reconciled you and me to himself. And now he is working in us, transforming us into a people that will display his glory to the world. That is the work of God in our lives now. But that is not the end of God's work. Those people would then go everywhere, wherever they go, and particularly to the ends of the earth, to all the peoples everywhere of the earth. They would live in God's kingdom. They would live under his rule, and they would experience the goodness of God. That the world could look at that, those people, and see how good God is. And then they would share a message of good news to the people in their lives. And then help those people grow up to be mature lovers of God, worshipers of God, who would then continue to do that. The gospel is here in America because the original 
followers of Jesus did that. They were reconciled to God, and then they went out, and wherever they went, they shared the good news, they lived the life that God wanted them to live, and then they made disciples. And through very many, many, many generations, the gospel has finally come to where we are. But the gospel is not finished. God still wants to reach more places, more people. He is, his plan is to do that through his people, through you and me. Until the whole world is filled with his glory. When we read Revelation at the very end, it shows before his throne, there are people from every tribe, tongue, language, family, nation, standing before the throne, worshiping God. That is what God is about. And he calls us to join him in that. Now, Isaiah's calling, my calling, is not for everyone. But we all join with our great God in doing what he is doing in the world. I believe God does call all of us not to live for ourselves, but to take on God's great purpose as our own, to join with him in that purpose, and to do what work with him in partnership to accomplish that end that he has. Wherever you are, Kyrgyzstan, Africa, working with snowboarders, living in Arnold, or big trees, or wherever. God does want you to bless other people. He wants you to pray for them and really enter into real relationships with them by listening to them. going to introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you were born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. 
that is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it has always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You're saying, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you as his child. Me? We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would, I would gladly serve you any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out and you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me. The commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, 
not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that it's a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. Go and make disciples of all men. Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, Holden, wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down before you go. What I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down. Because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs. Because his lambs beat the wolf packs. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that He is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually, greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I'm unashamed of it. Dear Lord Jesus, take what is rightfully yours. Don't just send us. Send us with yourself. Firmly planted within our souls. We cannot do your work. We cannot bring you glory. Even though we're willing to do it without you. Please, if you want to come with us, why in the world would we ever try on our own? You don't have to go on your own. You don't have to pull off the impossible on your own. 
You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. You can't love the lost. You can't love those that spit upon your face. He can. Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like he loves. Pray that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try and imitate in your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God.